So, yeah, you can go to our Torah portion, which is in Exodus, Shemot 1, um, but we're not going to... We're not going to really stay there for too long, because what I really want to speak from is is in Chronicles. Um, I think it was last time I spoke. I can't remember. But I had talked about King Asa. And um, right after you read about Asa, um, his son pops on the scene, Jehoshaphat. And so uh, I find... I just find the stories of the kings of Israel and Judah and Israel and um, what the Bible says about them so pertinent and so fascinating, especially in relation to just our own lives, us even being here today, like I said, even singing Shabbat Shalom from all of our various backgrounds here in New Hampshire. It just blows my mind. Um, like I said, in relation to the woman I know who, who comes from a Jewish heritage that, um, you know, great-great-grandfather, famous Zionist rabbi, and um, it doesn't just automatically pass from generation to generation. Not that he was, you know, saved, you know, and not that he... Um, but it's interesting to me that, that someone who wrote a five-volume, you know, book on metaphysics... God still used in the Zionist movement for the eventual uh, re- founding, refounding of the nation of Israel. You know, kind of like you were talking about with Balaam. God works through a Balaam to work out his will. And God works through these people to work out his will and his sovereign foreknowledge. Um, but what, what, there's some thing, and I'm going to preach a whole sermon before we start. But there's some things that we're going to read about Jehoshaphat's life um, that I think, like Paul said, these are stories and illustrations and things that we're supposed to learn from that we may not do likewise, which I read it and I'm just like, ah, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> Wrong. And, um, and there's serious consequences for that on God's people, on God's children, those who are are leading his people, those who are um, supposed to be um, teaching his people, and um, it's on those people who the wrath of God oftentimes falls, which is very scary (laughs) and sobering. Um, But, um, so there's a corporate example of this that's made, but then I believe that it's also a trickle-down into our own personal lives, uh, those who we interact with um, in the unsaved world so that they may see the glory of God in our lives. Um, anyways, yeah, okay, let's just let's look at Exodus, otherwise I'm going to... All right, so Exodus chapter 1, Shemot. Anybody know what that means in Hebrew? Shemot? No. No? Take a guess. <laughs> Names. Names, yes, very good names because in the in in like what Yeshua would have picked up and read was a scroll and um they didn't have chapters and um book titles so much like we have they titled them in the different sections by the beginning you kind of like we would say remember that passage and where Yeshua feeds the 5,000 we all know you know that story they would do the same thing remember that section of names and they'd be like oh yeah that's the beginning of Exodus so I'm not going to, like I said, focus on this too much, but um, 
basically you have the closing of uh, Genesis Rashid, where Joseph dies, and then the people uh, grow and proliferate and um, grow stronger, and Pharaoh eventually gets, you know, the king um, arises that didn't know Joseph and afflicts them in the hard bondage because they're afraid if, you know, when they go to war with the enemies, they'll revolt against them and join with their enemies, basically, because they're becoming so numerous. So they afflict them. And out of this comes Moses, the deliverer, who... um, Again, because he had godly parents who did what was right in the face of, you know, dark times and a lot of adversity, they, uh, um, they choose not to kill him, and the midwives uh, do not obey Pharaoh either, and God blesses the midwives, and I believe God blesses Moses' parents, um, and so they hide him in the bulrushes, Moses, you guys all know this, Pharaoh's daughter finds him, blah, 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 he goes uh, to Midian, and um, gets a wife there, and he stays there. He eventually sees the burning bush. God speaks to him, says, you're going back to Egypt. He says, I don't want to go back. And um, and then I find it great in chapter 3, verse 15. You don't have to go there. But it says, God said, moreover unto Moses, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God... It's actually Yehovah, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me unto you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations. You know, so I find, I love how God always calls the remembrance of the people back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those who he made a covenant with, with the land, that no matter where they were, no matter how long it had been, no matter how messed up things had seemingly gotten, he doesn't change, and he made a promise, and that is his cornerstone and foundation of which he builds everything on, and he will act upon that. He just Same thing for us here. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he has promised that he'll bring his people back to his land, and that he will redeem them one day and save them from their sins, and that's what he's done and is doing, and uh, we can rely on that. And so, But I think it's interesting, when the, he initially goes back, you know, he doesn't meet with enthusiasm and woohoo, you know. He goes back and, and basically says, well, you just made, they say to him, you, you, you made our life harder, essentially, right, is what happens. And it's kind of interesting to me because Moses typifies the Torah, right. Here comes Moses back into the lives of the people of God, the Torah, and, well, you're just making our lives harder now. <laughs> and deliverance isn't immediate, is it? They go through a lot of, uh, affliction and turmoil. Yeah, things get harder before they get better, and then God slowly judges the Egyptians, and then God leads them out with a strong hand, and then they plunder the people as they leave. But this doesn't happen right away. You know, we tend to want to look for immediate gratification, um, and that's not how God works. Pretty much all through Scripture, and so the, again, these are just really important ve- le- lessons, um, and and this is also, I believe, where. Um, God used Moses and Aaron based on just their individual personalities. Moses basically didn't want to go. He didn't want to speak to the people. And so he said, well, fine, your brother's going to do it then. And basically that's where that per, uh, Aaron then moves into the role of high priest basically at that point. Um, and it's interesting that it's actually um, Moses, it's Aaron's rod that Moses, is, Moses uses like when he touches the, that turns into a snake 
that he touches the river with, that he holds up when they split the Red Sea, that then blossoms and brings forth almonds, uh, that he strikes the rock with. It's, this rod, for, to me, is very interesting because it, what it does is, is it signifies the power of God, basically, and the authority of God. And that, and that is Aaron's rod. And it's very important, especially as you get into um, the later portions as they're going through the desert. And so uh, you see in chapter 4, verse 20, Moses took his wife and son, set them on an ass, and they returned. he returned to the land of Egypt. Moses took the rod of God in his hand. So I find that interesting. So Moses takes the rod of God in his hand. Basically that authority, that's what's going to represent God's authority as he goes into the nation. And then it's interesting, um, when we read in the Psalms, thy rod and thy staff are with me, they comfort me, you know, and um, spare the rod, spoil the child. So we see this, that this, you know, a simple shepherd's staff then gets turned into a, um, not an allegory, but a... um, a metaphor for God's ways, God's authority, God's instructions. And um, so that's why it's really important, you know, to, you know, just try to absorb these passages as much as you can because the way it works for me is like I read these things and it's like, cool, the rod of God was in his hand. And, and at the time it doesn't really seem like much of anything, but then as you read later through scripture and then thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And, oh, wait a minute. The rod of God was in his hand. Take the rod. The rod budded, you know, blah, 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 you know. So, uh, anyway, that's just a fun side point. The other thing that I want to point out that's an extremely important concept, because this is all leading up to Passover, right? God's redemption and salvation of his people through, through the blood of the Lamb. You know, all these things are set forth here that are types and pictures of um, of what God's going to do for his people later with Yeshua. So he says uh, in 22 of chapter 4, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith Yehovah, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn son. So right there, it's a very important concept that God, uh, that Israel is God's firstborn son. They're his children. And so if you want to be God's son, you have to be born again. You have to be born of God, born from above. Because right now when we're all born, we have our father's seed. We have the seed of Adam in us, that which... You know, the, uh, comes from Adam, that which makes us a human being and a man because it comes from our father. But that's, that's what we call the Adamic nature. That's the fallen man. So if we want a new nature, that which motivates us to live a certain way, to reflect our heavenly father, we need his seed in us. And so to become a child of God, you have to be born of above of his seed, which is his word, which is the Holy Spirit, which changes you, which enables you to then live as his son, basically. And so that's why it's so important that we read through these passages that everybody's read a thousand times, but that we read them and, and, um, and understand them so that then, you know, when Yeshua, we get to the point where he's talking to Nicodemus, it actually makes sense, is what I'm basically getting at. Um, and so that's why also, 
There's only two sons in the world. There's the son of Ad, sons of Adam, the sons of, of the devil. That's why Yeshua says, you are of your father, the devil. Um, or there's the children of God. There's really only two groups of people in the world. And, he's, and it's all typified in this exodus from Egypt where he says, you know, my children are going to go free. Your children, if you don't let them go, which he doesn't, we know that, they will die. And so you have all these types laid forth here, kind of packaged in this nutshell, that then get it further expounded upon all throughout um, all throughout the Bible as you read and get into the prophets. And, and again, that's why, that's how, you know, the prophets can seem very difficult to understand if you don't understand and you haven't um, taken to heart um, uh, Israel's early history. But I also think, too, that... Shut up. Um, I also think, too, that if you don't... If you don't... If you have theologically in your mind, separated yourself from Israel, right? Then you don't identify with what's happening here. It just is a story. And so then you don't think of yourself as part of Israel. Thus, those words of life that sustain you in the desert, they're burdensome. And they're not for me. And they don't do anything for me. And they're, oh. But as we're going to see in Jehoshaphat, with Jehoshaphat... You know, it just blows my mind, but it's a, but at the same time, it's a, it's amazingly powerful how the how how powerful these thoughts and concepts are. Again, expounded out, expanded out that if you're not part of Israel, well, then you're some other group, a third party, third party candidate, right? And uh, when you don't attach yourself to God's people, then kind of anything goes, whatever you devise, right? But those things that, that God gave his people to sustain them, to say, no, you're my son now, and these are my rules of the house, they're not gonna, they don't change because they are who he is. And so God, God does not change, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. And so as we were going to read in with Jehoshaphat's life, when he turned his heart unto God to serve and teach the commandments and to teach them in Israel... You know, God blessed him because of that. He didn't say, well, you know, good job, but they're really just a burden, and I didn't actually really want you to do those things, you know, or I'm going to flippantly change my mind later on. You know, no, no. You know, God's only had one people. All those who came out of Israel were, I'm sorry, came out of Egypt were his sons, his children, his firstborn. So anyway, all right, all that was just freebie. Okay, so go to Chronicles, Second Chronicles. Uh, we're going to start in 19, and we're going to kind of go through up to um, 20, because I just want to, I want to just look at, look at Jehoshaphat's life. So Jehoshaphat is um, the king of Judah, southern kingdom. This is after the two kingdoms have split, uh, the northern and the southern kingdom, because of uh, Solomon's sin, basically, because Solomon multiplied wives, multiplied horses, um, made alliances with foreign governments, and, and engaged in idolatrous worship. Though he was an incredible, wise, and amazing man, he, he, uh, there were consequences for his actions. And so, um, because, because they broke the covenant, <coughs> God 
divided Israel. Okay? And, and you can kind of see that whenever a covenant is made, they would cut an animal in half and you would walk through the covenant. I'm sorry, walk through the between the two pieces of the animal, saying, in effect, if I break the covenant, let me be cut in two. Well, Israel broke the covenant and they got cut in two. So I find that, you know, oddly interesting. Um, a lot of people get all worked up about the whole two house thing and. And people ask me what that means, and basically it depends on who you're talking to and how they define it. Um, as far as I see from the Bible, it's just a matter of historical fact that the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah were divided from each other. The kingdom of Israel got scattered into all four corners of the nations, uh, dispersed and mixed all abroad and whoever and wherever, as well as a lot of the southern kingdom too. Um, but the prophecies are that they will be gathered back one day. How God's going to do that, I don't know. You know, I'm not running around calling myself a uh, uh, Gadite, you know. Who knows? Maybe I have some of the Gad in me. It doesn't matter. The thing that matters is Yeshua's seed in me, you know, because that makes me a child of God. Someday God will work out, you know, what tribe you'll, you'll be in. I kind of like to be in the north up by the Galilee, maybe in Haifa, you know, but that's just my personal request. <laughs> I don't know even what uh, historical tribe of land that is. So anyways... Um, so, okay, so basically, so Jeho we have Jehoshaphat, who's king in the southern kingdom right now. This is also to get you, historically, this is also during Ahab's reign. What we're going to see is Jehoshaphat kind of screws up with his alliances that he makes with, um, uh, with the northern kingdoms. He does it twice, and he gets in trouble for that. Um, so, all right, so let's start reading. Uh... Actually, we're going to start in um, 17. So if you want to go to 2 Chronicles 17. So 17, verse 1. Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his stead and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed uh, forces in all the fenced cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. And Jehovah was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Baalim. So, the first thing we read about Jehoshaphat, and what sets him above, and what always is when you read through the kings and the leaders of Israel, is whether or not they live as their father David did. Because David was perfect? No. Because David had a heart that was unified for God. You know, we all live in a, in a, in a, in a, a sinful, fallen, carnal fleshly body with fleshly carnal desires and we all do bad things um, but in the heart in that place where God dwells within us David was unified there for his love of God and, um, and it was born forth in his life and so Jehoshaphat had the same thing he uh, walked on the, he walked in the first ways of his David Father David, and sought not unto Baalim. In other words, and because you always see this, they, um, the, the kings of Israel and or Judah, the, the thing is, did they, live, did they walk as his father David, or did they basically serve idols, or have some sort of mild mixture in, in, in between there? And the same thing goes for us in our life. Do we live as our father David did, doing what's right and seeking and following after God, or do we fill up our lives and we just leave a couple groves over there that we only go to here and there sometimes? You know what I mean? 
And idol worship nowadays is, is nowadays, I shouldn't use that term. Idol worship is, is not just setting up a little Buddha and going and bowing to it and burning a little bit of incense every now and then. Idol worship is anything you basically you put in your life that comes between you and your obedience to God. And so if there's something in your life that's coming in between you and your obedience to God, your walk with God, your relationship with God, and what you're doing in your life, that has become an idol because you have placed it ahead of your obedience and your following after God. That's what Paul tells us, little children, grief from idolatry. Um, and uh, so anyway, all right, so let's keep going here. Four, but sought to Yehovah, God of his father, and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. So we see that he sought after Yehovah, God of his father, and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. So he, he, he doesn't look to the ways of the world, the ways of Israel, who had the northern kingdom, who had strayed in their doings and had come up with their own standard of living. He sought after the God of his fathers. He went back to his roots. And he walked in his commandments. Again, you know, this is what God blesses. And so there's no different today. And these things weren't, it, it doesn't say, and walked in his burden and his commandments that dragged him down and he just couldn't see that the Messiah was coming someday to free him from all that. And that's not what it says. And that's not what Yeshua came to do. These were, these were what, it was a crown of jewel on Israel's head to distinguish them from the people. What great commandments have these people and what great God they serve. You know, you read through De- Deuteronomy. I mean, oh my gosh. And Psalm 119. It's... So, five. Therefore, Yehovah established the kingdom of his hand. And all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presence. And he had riches and honor in abundance. So we see that then God blesses him. It's not the other way around. You know, oh God, if I only had this, that, and another thing, then I'd be able to do what's right and serve you. You know, that... That's what we tend to do, you know. If only I had, you know, blah, 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 blah. No, God, you obey, and then God blesses. You know, it's like with my own children. If you do your chores, then you'll get your allowance. Not, I'll give you your allowance and, you know. Right. So that's how God works, because he's a father. Six, I love this. His heart was lifted up in the ways of Yahweh. You know, I just love that. It's beautiful, you know. His heart was lifted up in the ways of Yahweh. You know, is our heart lifted up in the ways of Yahweh? And I don't know, there, you know, it's such a struggle and a battle in, in life because there's so much around us to try to drag us away from obeying God and, and to lure us away and from our own fleshly desires to uh, the struggles that we have in the exile and, you know, the excuses that we tend to make, you know, so... You know, but what lifts us up? Who do we rely on? Is it God and His ways that lifts up our heart and gives us strength and stability and joy and, you know, the joy of thy salvation? You know, that's what it should be. That's what it was for David. That's what it was for Jehoshaphat. And God did mighty things on their behalf. And I think He can do mighty things on our behalf if we'll only get out of our own way. So, his heart was lifted up in the ways of Yahovah. Moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. So, same thing goes for us. 
our heart needs to be lifted up in the ways of God, and we need to remove the groves out of our life. Okay. So then what he does, um, he calls up, verses six and uh, 7 and 8, he calls up all his leaders, basically. As he sends his princes and his, uh, the priests and the Levites. So, and then, so this is really important. This is the next concept that's really important, too. So it's not... So, again, I'm trying to apply all this to your own life, you know. Live like your father David. Have your heart search after God in his ways. Be lifted up in his ways. Seek his commandments. And then, and then go forth, basically. So verse 9. So he sends out his princes and his priests and his Levites. And verse 9. They taught in Judah and had the book of the law of Yehovah with them and went about through all the cities of Judah and taught the people. So what happens? So then what's really cool, I find, is it doesn't continue on talking about the people. It, it then goes on and says, 10, And the fear of Yehovah fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were round about Judah. So they made no war against Jehoshaphat. You know, if Israel sent, you know, built up their leadership that was God-fearing and great, and same thing for us in our own lives, and then sent people out to teach the people to live, and they did it, I think the fear of God would fall on the nations that were around about them. You know? But but they don't. They see them as weak because they are weak, and sometimes we're weak because we don't obey God and we don't keep his commandments and we don't have a heart that's unified towards him. And so they see that. And and, and it's it's just like um Animals attacking a weak link in them, you know. There, there's there's a weak and sickly one, so they all just like gang up viciously and attack it, you know. That's basically the same what happens. But because they had a heart, and they got and Jehoshaphat taught them, the fear of Jehovah fell upon all the kingdoms of the land that were round about Judah. You know, it's just awesome. All right, so let's keep going. Uh, verse eighteen. I'm just gonna basically quickly. I'm sorry, chapter eighteen. I'm going to tell you basically what happens. Because that in and of itself is really, really fascinating, very pertinent, and I've taught on it a couple of times um, in this day and age, with especially false prophets, prophecy, dreams, blah, 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 things like that. Um, but basically, he, he he goes up and visits King Ahab. And a bad guy. Um, shouldn't have done that. God doesn't kill him, amazingly. And so, in chapter 19... Uh, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Yehu, son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate Yehovah? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before Yehovah. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, and that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land and hast prepared thine heart to seek God. Ah. It's just, I mean, I just, so because he made an alliance with Ahab, he goes up and he doesn't really do anything wrong, but he joins company with those who hate God. You know, what does he say to him? He said, should, shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate Yehovah? You know, that doesn't. That doesn't bode well with the modern day Christian message, does it? You know, no, we shouldn't help the ungodly in those that you know hate God. They're they're His enemy. Yes, you know, love them, but you you know what I mean. And and want, but 
but don't join in their wickedness and their evil and their and their tearing apart of God's ways and God's kingdom. You know, he should never have made an alliance and been buddy buddy with them. You know, Israel should not be put into a modern day thing. Israel should not be making alliances and joining with those nations that hate God, even America, if that's the case. You know, they should rely on him alone. So what happened? So even though Jehoshaphat, a good guy, did all these good things, he's a leader, he's taught the people, but he, he, he gets too cozy with those who hate God. Therefore is wrath upon thee from before Yahweh. You know, that's really... So the wrath of God comes upon, yes, the wicked, but even more so, his, his people. Know, his leaders because there's consequences for disobedience but I want you to see what Jehoshaphat does though so he realizes basically his sin Jehoshaphat verse 4 dwelt at Jerusalem and he went out again through the people from Beersheba to Mount Ephraim and brought them back unto Jehovah God of their fathers so he doesn't just wallow in his sin and his misery and all that he does wrong oh, you know and uh, he does something about it he again sends out his people to bring back the people to what obedience, obeying God, doing what's right. And he sets up judges uh, and basically reestablishes um, order again. So I think what had happened, I don't think all of a sudden he was like, you know, I'm going to go visit Ahab. This is never quite like that. It's always a slippery slope of things creeping in when you're at ease Everything is going smooth, and uh, <clears throat> and so then it, I think the environment, the godly environment in Judah, had eroded. Why? I think because of the condition of Jehoshaphat. Because it's just like in business. If if you're not moving forward, if you're not building and improving, you're going backward. There's no such thing as as consistency and and and, and riding. You know, uh, you know, da 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 da. Everything's working on its own. You're either putting effort in and you're working towards something, or you're going backwards and it's all falling apart. Because that's just the, the cause of the fall, entropy. Everything's winding down. So unless you're injecting information to prop things up, you're working on your car to keep it going. You're maintaining the, the spiritual. Um, uh, nature and existence and life in you with God by his word likewise in the people they'll just fall apart you know, because that's what we do that's our nature and so there's an extra burden like James said especially on the leaders of God's people to hold the line to teach God's people to exhort them uh, to teach them because otherwise, we just go our natural way and we fall apart. And that's what happened, I think, before leading up, I think, to before he went and saw Ahab. And so because of that, because he was not doing what he was supposed to, God sends a prophet and says, my wrath's upon you now. Why? Because, and why, why, why on such a good leader, right? How come you read other kings who... Uh, do wickedly and horribly and they reign for 40 years and it seems like God doesn't do anything. You know? 
I think it's I it's not so much God doesn't do anything. They and the people under them suffer the natural ramifications for that sin. Because anytime because God created everything, made it all to work a certain way according to how he set it forth, and if you operate it that way, it does as it should, and everything is there's blessing, it works as it's supposed to. When you don't, there's just natural chaos and ramifications for that. Whereas, when you have a king who is serving God, is doing what's right, and is God's blessing, and God says, now wrath's going to come upon you. It is, yes, it is God's working and sending his wrath and his punishment, and allowing God's en- his, his, the enemies of God to then attack him, the, his people, as we're going to see with the Ammonites and the Moabites, it's... it's basically the natural ramifications of his sin for not doing what he should everything falls apart the society falls apart the people fall apart when the people fall apart everything falls apart you know and they start doing whatever the H-E double two picks they want and uh and then chaos ensues and so god's wrath is upon them especially because the leader he because he is god's representative who's supposed to be leading and teaching his people um, God doesn't have much patience with those people. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. Yeah, right. I know. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's keep going. So, all right. Where were I? I never look at my notes. Uh, okay. So, yeah, that was eighteen, and then nineteen. So he teaches them. Um, uh, Moab and the Ammonites in uh, chapter 20 come and fight against them. Uh, so they're coming to fight against him. So Jehoshaphat, verse 3 of chapter 20. So Jehoshaphat feared and set himself. So again, I want to see, I want you guys to see, us to see his response um, in these situations. Even though he screws up just like David did. David screwed up and got kicked out of Jerusalem and had chased by his sons and all these terrible things. Kind of same thing happens to Jehoshaphat here, even though he has the same heart of his father David. So Jehoshaphat fears because Moab and Ammon are coming against him. The wrath of God is against him. And he says he fears and he set himself to seek Jehovah. And so what does he do? He proclaims a fast throughout all Judah. All Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of Jehovah. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek Jehovah. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of Jehovah before the new court. And I'm going to read this just because it's so awesome what he said. He says, O Jehovah, God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art thou... Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of the land before thy people Israel, and gave it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever? And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If one evil cometh upon us, as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, and we stand before this house in thine presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold... The children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade, when they came out of the land of Egypt, and they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, 
how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before Yehovah with their little ones, their wives, and their children. I just love this, you know. God sends his, his prophet against him, uh, says there's going to be wrath, and so Ammon and Judah are coming. And so, but what he chooses to do is he sets himself to seek Yehovah. And other passages read the king will try to send and make alliances with Assyria or with the Egyptian or some other other nation, you know, and rely on them to save him. But he, what he does is beautiful because he sets his face, uh, uh, sets himself to seek Yehovah. He proclaims a fast. I think that's pretty important. That's something I don't know that we do enough of. Maybe we should do more of. Uh, and then they all gather together to seek the Lord and to pray. And he prays. Basically, he just he just basically quotes scripture back to God, telling him, these are all the things you've said and you've promised, and you wouldn't let us kill him, and you've placed your name here, and you've given us this land as an inheritance, you know, don't let them come and uh, drive us out of everything that you said that you would give us and destroy the place where you've placed your name, God. You know, we, re- we rely on you. And so I love how he basically pleads with God according to all that God has, has said he will do. So um, then, um, yeah, Azel, the Spirit of God comes upon him, and he basically says, don't, you don't, you're not even going to need to fight this battle stand still see the salvation of Yehovah with you and so eventually uh, what we find is um, uh, what we find is that God goes out and destroys them basically they end up fighting against each other and they kill each other and um, then they plunder the leftovers of the goods that are there and uh, so I think you know we can learn a lesson from Jehoshaphat um you know, learn a lesson that we, you know, teaching them diligently to our children, like we say with the, you know, the commandments and we say in the Shema, is, is vital and God works through that. But at the same time, every person is responsible for their own walk and their own life. And you're not a victim. You can't, you know, say, oh, I'm a victim of my, you know, bad childhood. Well, yeah, I mean, granted, you know, that's terrible, but you have a new father now. And, uh, and, and he has given us his word and instructions and ways for us to live by it. And he will bless and he will work out his word in our life if we will serve and obey him. It's not all going to be preaches and cream. And we know that um, because, again, of ramifications of sin, the natural consequences therein, we are living in the exile and, and, and suffering the consequences of um, these natural ramifications of sin. But, but that was all prophesied. And eventually God said, he would, if you seek me, you will find me. And I will be a, a set-apart place with you where you are in the exile. And I just love that. And so we too can seek God's face, and seek his heart, and, um, and, and pray and fast and expect great things. And um, know that we have a powerful God that works on our behalf. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the story and the life of Jehoshaphat. And, um, uh, uh, all your word that you give us. I just pray that you would help us to have, prepare our hearts to seek after you and your ways and walk after you to have a heart like David um, because we are your children. You have placed
Holy Spirit seed in us and help us just to live that out and bear forth fruit of good works uh, as our father Abraham. And so I just thank you for uh, this day, this Sabbath, that we even get to be here uh, to gather to sing Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> you know, uh, how many years in exile now, but that you are moving with your spirit and your people to call us and gather us back. Help us just to um, be obedient in it, to not grumble in the long way, um, not to be rebellious, but to hold fast and uh, uh, diligently serve me, Father. Just uh, give us a good week. Help us to be a shining light for you. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen.